that's why typically the business owner is the worst person in the team to be creating systems because they they naturally think about the way that they want things to be. And, and the sooner that you can get it over to the team members for the system creation, at least for version number one, the sooner things start to move much more smoothly. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. If you've been thinking about how to create better systems for your business, department, or organization, you're in the right place. It's been something I've been paying more attention to in my own business as it continues to grow. So I spoke with systems expert David Jennings, who knows a lot about how to create systems that work. His book is Systemology. Dave is based in Melbourne, Australia, and his mission is to free all business owners worldwide from the daily operations of running their business. So I'm ready for that. His ideas actually apply to managers or executives in any type of organization. You can learn more about his work at systemology.com, or you can go to the link in the show notes to this episode. Dave's got systems in his DNA. What I really liked about our conversation is his emphasis on creating systems-driven cultures. It's something that can be done successfully over time when you go about it in the right way. I also thought his idea about engaging younger employees in the process to help capture or codify systems is a great idea, especially with the emphasis on employee engagement and retention. As Dave explains, when creating effective systems, being curious is key. So get curious about the way things work and start creating the systems that work best for you. Enjoy my conversation with Dave Jennings. Dave, welcome to CEO On The Go podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. My pleasure. Very much looking forward to it. Love talking about systems. Yes. Well, as I confessed, uh, as we just met a few minutes ago, I am not good at following systems and am in the process of trying to set up some systems for my own business. So I think this will be a timely conversation and one that's helpful to to listeners because I, I haven't covered this topic in any depth yet. And we've done over 100 episodes. So look forward to, to hearing your expertise on this. Um, and before we dive in, I wanted to just get a sense of how you got into this work. I saw that you you say that you systematized yourself out of your business. So how did that happen? Well, I've always had systems in my DNA. My dad was a systems engineer and a lot of the businesses that I've run over the years have all had systems sort of integrated into it. But it was really strange. The last business I owned, which was a digital agency, I had that business for 13 years. Even though all of the previous businesses were heavily systems, process, and we had procedure manuals and all those sorts of things. When I got to the digital agency, I thought, oh, this business is different. I can't systemize this business because, you know, we're a creative digital agency and I don't want the systems to remove creativity and my team won't follow the systems anyway. So, what's the point of putting them into place? Or Google will update their algorithm and change the way they're doing things. So, if I create a system, the system's just going to be out of date. 
And I had all of this baggage circulating around in my head. And looking back now, that really trapped me in the business probably for about, I'd say, 10 years too long. And yeah, it was only till we found out we were uh, pregnant and I had a real short runway where I thought, hey, if I don't get this business organized, I'm going to be that dad who's always too busy, doesn't have time for the kids. And I thought, well, I know systems work. I've seen digital agencies, other digital agencies systemize themselves. So, hey, I'm really going to put this concerted effort into making Melbourne SEO at the time run without me and ended up hiring a CEO. Took probably about 12 months to get it where it needed to be. And then I was able to kind of step out of the day-to-day operations and took a year off. And that's actually in that year. It's funny how space gives you a chance to kind of just rethink about things. And um, I realized where my passion lies. It was in the systems and processes. And then I started up this little side business around systemology. And that's um, kind of been where I've rolled into. Perfect. So what advice do you have for executives, business owners, entrepreneurs that know that they need to pay attention to this and that they need to develop systems? Where where would be a good starting point for that? Mm-mm. The And you're the expert on change within business. Um, it can be quite a prickly thing in that we are looking to change the culture. We want to move the business to be a systems-driven business. And that's going to require some change and shining light on certain team members and what they're doing and those sorts of things. So you need to actually start small and kind of build up to this. Oftentimes, what a lot of people do is they think, well, what is a systemized business? And you know, companies like McDonald's or Amazon or Google come to mind because they're really systemized, but they're looking at the end picture of where they are today. And then they start building based on that end picture. But you really want to go back 60 years when McDonald's was first getting started and how did they first get started? And and it's really about identifying those first 10 to 15 systems that you should start with. It's We've got a process we call the critical client flow. And a lot of that has to do with thinking about, well, what is the ideal customer? What is a primary product or service that we sell to them? And how do we map the linear journey that the prospect and the client goes through to deliver that core product? And in doing that process, you can actually uncover 10 to 15 systems that become the real focus on where someone starts. Mm -hmm. So do you start with a pain point then within the business where you say this isn't working? Maybe we need to look at systems as part of a solution or are there some areas of the business that would lend themselves more naturally to being systematized? Yeah. Or both? (laughs) Yeah, it depends on the size of the organization. That said though, if you start off with the critical client flow exercise, Um, And the idea is, how can we make sure that the business makes money without key person dependency? How do we find that primary audience and that primary product, the first thing that we sell to that dream client, get really clear on what that is and systemize that process? Because just about every other problem inside business can be solved with money. So if we can first systemize the creation of money and remove the key person dependency, you're on the right path. Now, you hit on something about going to the pain and that's actually the next step. So, you you kind of know where to start when you think about change. You think about where the pain is because that's most pressing for them. So, inside the critical client flow, once you map this linear journey, you ask, where is the pain? And the pain might be um, you know, uncovered if you ask questions like, 
if we got 100 times or 10 times the amount of clients, what breaks first? Or sometimes, depending on the size of the organization, if it's a smaller team, certain team members might avoid things or not like doing things. We see this oftentimes where the, you know, the business owner, uh, they might be the salesperson, but they, whether consciously or subconsciously, push away sales because they know if they make the sale, that's going to equal pain because they're going to have to do the work and they're already busy and they don't have capacity. So by uncovering those sorts of areas, you can go, oh, well, the pain is sitting in operations. It's around you know, the setting up and the delivery of the core product or service. So let's start there. But I think doing the critical client flow and then narrowing into the pain is perhaps one of the best places you can start. Okay, good. That makes sense. I'm curious, do you make a distinction between systems and processes? No, look, in the book, it's definitely a big cause of confusion for a lot of people um, people use SOPs, standard operating procedures, how-to documents, processes, systems, workflows. Like there's so many different terms that um, people struggle to understand what it means. So I've just created like a blanket definition that I put over systems that basically encompasses everything. And I just say it's a series of steps that when followed create a consistent outcome. So it's a series of steps that when followed create a consistent outcome. And that definition for systems works at the micro level, but also at the macro level. So the micro level might be the series of steps that you follow inside MYOB to create an invoice consistently. So that is the micro, but then it works at the macro level where maybe you're creating this high level overview type system, which has key milestone steps that need to be completed for the delivery of a product or service. So that, that's really how I simplify it. Yeah. Do you see differences in how systems are created for large corporations or large organizations versus small business? Definitely. Uh, a big part of it has to do with the red tape and to the level of detail to which you go into creating a system. Like a big part of systems, people have this picture in their head that it's, you know, creates extra friction and red tape, and it's just something annoying that gets in the way. And a lot of that baggage comes from the way that big businesses do it. Or again, if we just go back to the McDonald's example, they have this big, thick binder of systems that tell you in painstaking detail how to make a hamburger. And everybody thinks, oh, that's how we should do things, except I, I bet probably about 99% of your listeners aren't running hamburger businesses and aren't recruiting 15-year-old kids off the street to teach them how to flip those burgers. They, they've probably got intelligent team members that come pre-baked with a certain level of skill and we don't need to tell them how to suck eggs. Like we want to create a framework. So it's all about finding to what is the right level of detail and how do we give them enough of what they need and with a very specific purpose of being useful. Because sometimes in bigger organizations, they use things like ISO certification. And ISO certification, they go through this process of systemization, but the purpose of it really is to get a tick at the end to say, I'm ISO accredited and now I can go for these big tender jobs. Um, and it's not about creating useful systems that the team will actually follow. So sometimes there's a little bit of difference in that. A big part of systemology is capturing what you're currently doing, making it repeatable, and then making sure that you capture it to the level of detail required for the team member doing it. So we don't 
over-optimize for something that, you know, we know a skilled team member is going to do and we don't under-optimize or, or put less detail for something that, you know, maybe is a high turnover job. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going back to your your background. You come from a systems engineering family and obviously that skill is so natural to you when you're coming up with what the system should be. You know, I would advocate involving multiple stakeholders, but there's some people who may not think naturally about creating systems. How do you suggest that organizations bring different stakeholders? I'm assuming that you would agree with me on that, you know, that it's important to get different perspectives, even though they may not know what the system should be to at least to provide input, but get curious to get your thoughts on that. The, the, the controversial uh, logic bomb I'm about to drop. So I, um, a lot of work that's done in the systems space are things like Lean and Six Sigma and some of these methodologies that are focused around process improvement. And it's in the name that it pre-assumes that you have a process to improve. Now, systemology actually sits the step before that. So it's probably tailored for businesses who don't yet have many systems in place. And systemology is more about process capture and then making that repeatable that becomes base level number one, and we do that before we optimize or re-engineer the process. Got it. I was going to ask you about that, so that's good to know. So the way that we do it, we identify, we ask the question, well, who currently does this the best on the team? Let's just capture just what they're doing, even though it might not be world-class or you know super optimal. Who handles the incoming inquiry well? Who does the sales process really well? Well, let's find out what they're doing and then let's teach that to other team members and that becomes the baseline because most small business, what they struggle with is repeatability. So if we can solve the repeatability issue, sometimes what happens if if you involve too many stakeholders or the business owner gets involved, then it they start painting the picture of the way that they would like it to be, not the way that it is currently. And it becomes this extra big hurdle to get over because certain team members want it to be just perfect. And then that sometimes just stops them even getting started. Yeah, I can relate to that. And a lot of the visioning work that I do sometimes, if you can't bring it back to where people are now and help them see there's a a good next step that they can achieve, it does seem kind of daunting. So I can relate for sure. And that's why typically the business owner is the worst person in the team to be creating systems because they they naturally think about the way that they want things to be. And, And the sooner that you can get it over to the team members for the system creation, at least for version number one, the sooner things start to move much more smoothly. Yeah. And I would add to that. Another reason not to do that is that sometimes people are afraid to tell the boss that won't work. Right. So then they they say, okay, well, you know, he or she wants this done and then they do it. And and to your point, it can waste a lot of time, money, all of that. So, um, yeah, lots of reasons not to do that. Um, So when you're thinking about really making taking your business to the next level and putting systems in place, and you talked about you're kind of the step before other processes that would be in place for process improvement. I'm curious to know, do you how frequently do you? look at your processes? Do you review processes annually? And, and, you know, assessment of what's working is something that I think is so important for organizations to do to note what's working and where they can improve. So maybe you've got a system for that or a process to even assess how your systems are working. 
Yeah. Um, if you think about the almost infinite number of systems and things you could systemize in business, um, it became quickly become overwhelming. So we always apply this idea of the 80-20. What are the 20% of the systems that deliver 80% of the result? And we focus on getting them down first. And then we reach what we call minimum viable systems. It's the minimum number of systems required to run your business. And once you get there, then the next thing to do is actually to listen to the business. And you have maybe some sort of meeting cadence, whether it's for department heads or your leadership team. And part of that meeting, one of the items is to address issues and problems. So as the issues and problems are captured, they get put onto a list and then they're brought up for discussion. And when they're brought up for discussion, you always try and look and solve it at the system level first. So at least initially, because it's, you know, a lot of business is a game of whack-a-mole at the start. Most business owners, though, are whacking the same moles over and over and over. Whereas what we're trying to do is whack that mole once and then solve that problem. Um, The way that we actually, you know, revisit and relook at systems is when issues start arising and problems break down and they're recurring issues. And then we're like, well, does an adjustment need to be made to the system? Does a new system need to be introduced? And that happens for a period of time. Um, Just while we're in this transition from I have no or very low systems to I've reached minimum viable systems to now my business is kind of operating. Once you've been doing this for a while, then you end up getting more strategic and you put a dashboard into place, you're watching your key metrics, and then you look at, you know, maybe you've got metrics for, you know, your lead flow and your sales conversion and metrics around the delivery of the product or service. And you look for either bottlenecks or breakdowns or what's holding those metrics back. And then you kind of like peel those numbers apart and then you try and solve certain pieces like, ooh, conversion is a problem here. Well, maybe at that point, you hire the sales consultant who comes in and re-engineers the system, or at that point, that's where the re-optimization happens. So, it it does happen in systemology, but it's the final stage in the process. Okay. Got it. Um, it is fascinating for me to see in my work with organizations, people like you who are naturally wired to be systematic and then others who are not. I actually offer assessments that can tell if a person has that kind of capacity to see big picture and put the different pieces together versus other people who are more wired to see the individual pieces and focus more on um, a a specific role, for example, as opposed to like the organization as a whole. So um, I was just curious if you have any way that you can identify some of the the most effective people who have similar skill as you do in that area or what organizations might do to tap some of the untapped talent. And I know some of the other organizations, they have people in those roles, system engineers and all of that, but there are some people who don't have a title, but they still have that gift. So just curious to get your thoughts. Are we allowed to make a confession on this sure. podcast? Okay. I, I already like have. Ready- like, this is an area I am working on. So that's <laughs> why I'm like, hmm, how can we figure all this out? The confession is I don't like writing systems and processes. Um, even though I I get it, uh, what actually happened for me, I fell in love with what systems deliver. I'm actually a big picture visionary thinker. That gives me hope. Thank you for saying yeah. that, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> and I think that understanding what they can bring to the business, that's where I fell in love. And then I was like, ah, 
well, I need to build the team around me that do like the process, like you're talking about, because there are people that connect with systems and processes and there are others that don't. And if you're a business owner who doesn't find this is in your sweet spot, then you want to find the yin to your yang and you want, you want to identify a systems champion or maybe you put a, you know a, an integrator or a manager into place to kind of help balance you out and you find the team members that naturally connect with this systems approach. Some people just organize and they write checklists and they can't help themselves and you want to empower those team members. And yeah, look, we have some different ways that that we look for them. Like there's certain characteristics like around attention to detail, uh, around, again, do they just naturally do it? Um, do they enjoy doing it? Uh, we used to look for thinking, did they have capacity to create the systems? But I'm actually finding you can give work to a busy person and they tend to get it done. Um, but I think the biggest part is they just have to have um, a real curiosity about the way that things work and the way that business works. So oftentimes I'll be working with a business and one of the first things we do is to identify the systems champion. That's the person who really takes ownership in the team, who's not the business owner, who really drives this forward. And I can think of three businesses straight off the top of my head where they ended up going for one was in an accounting firm and it was a junior accountant. And another one was in his roof gutter cleaning and it was an apprentice that they had that was working in the office. Um, and I can think of another um, dog food business where they had someone who's kind of like a junior. So it's kind of like the young, hungry, wants to learn. And this is part of the learning process to go to the knowledgeable team members, capture what they're doing, codify that learn how it's done, and then make it in a format that others can consume. Yeah. Oh, I love that approach. Yeah. That's a great, great tip. As we're getting close to the, the end of our uh, time today, are there any final tips or words of wisdom, suggestions you would offer to people who really do want to get better at implementing systems that work for their business? Yeah. As long as, as you're listening to this, we kind of, I, I wanted to ignite that fire because a lot of people have these preconceived notions around systems and processes. And the if we get you to re-look at this idea of systems and, and try and come to the conclusion that just because I'm a business owner or someone in the leadership team who isn't a systems person doesn't mean that you can't create a systems-driven culture. Um, it's about identifying the team members that are particularly strong in those areas and empowering them and creating these positive habits that continually bring systems to the forefront so you can't help but see them. Like it's an agenda item in certain meetings. It's something that you're showcasing the systems to the rest of the team. When a task is assigned to a team member, it has a link to the system where the documented process is. Like there's a handful of things that we can do just to make it a natural course of doing business and actually make it easier for the team. That's the other big idea that you want to get across to your team, that following the systems actually makes your job easier. And if they get that and you make your systems that way, you'll get much higher adoption. It's when it feels like it's work or, oh, it's friction or this is red tape or why do we have to do that? Like that's where you get pushback. Or, you know, this is overly complicated. I mean, systems can be simple. 
So that's what I would challenge listeners to do kind of as a takeaway, at least that I'm taking ways. Just look for areas of your business where you can start small and implement some kind of simple system change. Initially, you can always make it more complex, I guess, if you have to. But simp- simple, I think, is always better if you can can make it that way. Yeah. A little Zoom or a Loom or a recording on your iPhone of you doing something, that is version one of a system. So most definitely, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Keep it simple. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so what is the best way for people to reach you? Yeah, they can head out to uh, systemology.com and there's some links through there over to Amazon. I've got a book which details our our process. It's a seven-step process for systemization, which starts with what we talked about, that idea of yeah, defining your critical client flow, but then we kind of go through some other stages. But that book is is probably the best place to start over on uh, Amazon or Audible. If you're listening here, you probably like your audio books. That, that's another way to get started. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for spending a little time with me. We're in such different time zones and I appreciate that we could finally pull this off and I know it will be valuable to people who listen. So look forward to sharing this and, um, and implementing better systems in, in my own business. You know, I'll, I'll see what I learn and report back. So <laughs> appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Dave. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. For everyone else, I hope you create the systems you need to make your business or life a lot easier. Until next time, have a great rest of the week doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.